Just a couple of announcements. We want to let you know that if you are a believer in Jesus and you have not been water baptized, today after the first service and second service right here, there will be a water baptism class, uh, one happening this morning after service. We encourage you to trust God, obey his word, and just take the next step. Um, the other is young people. Uh, we have a service once a month called One Night. That's a combined service with our young adult ministry and youth ministry, and our goal for the third, it's the third Wednesday of each month, and so the one in July and August, they'll be happening outdoors in our parking lot. The reason, one of the reasons I'm bringing this up is because along with service, before service, we're having two basketball tournaments happening, uh, one for youth uh, from those going into seventh grade, going into 12th grade, and young adults 18 to 29, you can register on our website your team. There's no cost, <coughs> excuse me, and so if you want to register today a basketball team, you can do that. Service is always open to those between 7th grade all the way up to 29, the one night, and uh, we feed you as well. Well, let me pray for the word today. Father, I pray, Lord, Lord, to do only what you can do. Father, I pray for an anointing. Father, I pray that you will glorify your name. Lord, let this word come with power, the Holy Spirit, and deep conviction. Lord, as we said before in service, it's your love, Lord. I pray your love would sweep this house and do what you want to do. Lord, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to ask you to turn in your Bible to one Bible verse, John 3.16. I'll give you a moment. The title, as we continue in our discipleship series, is Saved by Grace. Saved by Grace. Before we get to that verse, I want to define to you what a biblical worldview is. Now, a biblical worldview, because everybody holds a worldview, a biblical worldview is a person who sees the entire world and every part of it through the eyes of Scripture. They are governed by the Holy Spirit. They are governed by the Word of God. For the Christian, the Word of God is the authority. And so they react and interact and act according to Scripture. That's a biblical worldview. A biblical worldview begins with a true salvation. We cannot have a biblical worldview without first coming to the Lord and surrendering our lives to Him. The Family Research Council's Center for Biblical Worldview among the 1,000 American adults interviewed across the nation, 51% they said they have a biblical worldview. The FRC poll was conducted during May, and this is what they found. 31% believe it's very important for their faith to influence every area of their life. 31%. 13% don't let their faith influence politics. 30% say politics does affect their faith. 55% do let their faith impact personal relationships. So out of these 51% of people, within that only 55% of them actually say that their faith impacts personal relationships. 5% say faith doesn't change their social connections. 44% of millennials claim a biblical worldview, but only 4% have one. 53% of Gen Xers say they have a biblical worldview, however, only 6%, 6 do. 
54% of baby boomers state they have a biblical worldview when only 8% actually do. And 62% of elders, this is the combined generations of people over the age of 75, claim to have a biblical worldview, but 9% have one. 49% agree that reincarnation is a possibility after they die. 48% of white adults say they have a biblical worldview, but only 7% do. 59% of Hispanic adults claim to have a biblical worldview, but only 3% have one. 63% of blacks say they have a biblical worldview, but data found that only 5% do. 45% of Asians acknowledge that they have a biblical worldview, but only 4% have one. 74% of conservatives said they have a biblical worldview, but only 16% do. 49% of moderates said they have a biblical worldview, but only 3% have one. And 33% of liberals said they have a biblical worldview, yet a mere 1% were correct. A biblical worldview begins at salvation. John 3.16, and I'm reading from the NIV. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. There's a lot of people that believe Jesus came to earth because he had to. I believe Jesus came to earth because he wanted to, because he loves us. The Bible says, for God so loved the world. He came because of love, but also in Matthew chapter 7, I'm going to be sharing a lot of verses today, and you don't have to <clears throat> turn to all of them. Matthew chapter 7, 21 to 23 says this, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, and in your name drive out demons, and in your name perform many miracles, or in other words, and in your name even serve in ministry. In your name we did things for you, God. But then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Why? Do we have such a small biblical worldview? Why do we see so many people that may claim to have something but don't have a relationship, a living relationship with the, world, the, the Lord? I believe somewhere along the way in our country we stopped preaching the gospel. The Bible says, unless the Lord builds the house, the labors labor in vain. Talking about this house. Unless the Holy Spirit is building inside of us and working, unless he's the one who has saved us. We surrender our life to the Lord. But now we're stuck trying to maintain it and create it. You know, uh, just the other day, I don't know how old the interview was, but uh, I, I heard that they were talking about the decline of church attendance in the United States of America. But there is a little flip side to that, which is incredible. In many places, the church attendance is declining, except it's growing somewhere. It's actually growing in churches that are preaching the truth. And thank God for that. But somewhere along the line, we stopped preaching the gospel, and now we're trying to maintain it, and we're trying to create it in the house of God, and we're trying to live this Christian life in our own strength. Somewhere along the line, we began making it about us and what we can gain. It became a seeker-sensitive, people-pleasing gospel. We are saved by grace, and we're going to get into that in a moment 
Pastor Daniel shared this last week. Grace is God giving us something we do not deserve. Jesus coming to earth and dying on the cross for our sin is not what we deserve. He gave us something. Mercy is God taking away something that we do deserve. The mercy of God is really the, it's the heart of God. It's the heart of Christianity is mercy and grace. Now, the definition of salvation is deliverance, bringing safely through, keeping from harm. I believe that there are four different type of people here today, this morning, right now, and those that are online. I believe that we have Christians in the room, people that know they're saved, they're born again. They have the Holy Spirit living inside of them. They have surrendered their life to Jesus. I also believe we have people that are here today that you're not sure if you're saved. You may be doubting, or maybe you're even living as, as, as it's called a worldly or carnal Christian. And so there's doubt. And then we have people that are in the room today, you know that you're not saved. You know it. Maybe you feel that someone forces you here or drags you here into the building, but you're not a born-again Christian. And then the fourth type, which I don't know which one could be the scariest, but this may be the scariest, is those that think they're saved, but they're not. What are we saved from? Martin Luther said, he spoke about Satan stirring up a new sect that men are not terrified by the law. This is what Martin Luther said. That the devil himself would raise up men that are not terrified by the law anymore. Charles Spurgeon spoke about that we will never accept grace until we tremble at the law. Jesus said that we must repent and believe. We can't just repent. We can't just say, I really don't like the way I'm living. I, I don't like the way I'm behaving. And so I'm going to try really hard. And, and we can't just believe and say, yes, Jesus, you are Lord and Savior, but there's no repentance. There's both. Jesus, one of the first words he ever said on planet Earth recorded in the Bible is repent and believe. The two go hand in hand. There's a turning from sin and an entrusting of our life to Jesus. What are we saved from? We are saved from sin, from self-destructing. We are saved from a spiritual death, and we are saved from hell. An unsaved person is spiritually dead. They're under Satan's control. Jesus himself said, either your father is God or your father is the devil. There was no middle ground for Jesus. A person that's not saved is a slave to sin. They're under God's condemnation. Now, the first person I want to talk to today is those that may doubt. When Israel was enslaved by the Egyptians, the Bible tells us that they left that enslavement by God's supernatural working and power on what is called the first Passover. Today, the Jewish people still around springtime celebrate Passover each year. If you remember that God had sent, and if you don't know, God had his people, and, and they were being enslaved, and, and so God was coming to rescue them, and he sent plagues. He sent these miraculous workings, really, um, to get Pharaoh and Egypt's attention to say, let my people go, and, and there was a refusing of that. And so the tenth and final plague that God sent was an angel of death, that all the firstborn would die, except... If you were God's people, they would take a little lamb without any defect and they would kill that lamb and they would take the blood and they would put it on the two sides and the door frames, the top of the door frame in their homes. And what would happen is as that angel of death would come, they would pass over the home. 
they would pass over. And so death would not touch that home. They were even able to share the lamb with a neighbor, which is a picture of us sharing our faith with others. But remember, they shared the lamb without defect. They shared the gospel. This lamb was holy without blemish. You know, Colossians 1, 21 to 22 says this. So if you're sitting here today and you had surrendered your life to Jesus, but maybe you're doubting, you're wondering, you're worrying, you're living in fear of what the future or after death holds. Let me tell you what Colossians 1, 21 to 22 says. This includes you who were once far away from God. You were his enemy, separated from him by your evil thoughts and actions. Yet now he has reconciled you to himself through the death of Christ in his physical body. As a result, he has brought you into his own presence. And you are holy and blameless as you stand before him without a single fault. When you put faith in the blood of Jesus Christ, he makes you holy and blameless. We look at ourselves in the mirror and we see failures sometimes and faults and so on and so forth, but we wear the righteousness of Christ. I'm not talking about the person playing games. We'll talk about that person in a second. This is the person that sincerely is struggling with understanding if they are saved or not. They have repented. They have believed, but for one reason or another, they are not sure and they may be doubting. I love the picture of the door, the blood on the door frame. Now, I don't know how many doors their houses had. It's probably one, but that's my guess. It may have been two. But today, there's one door. One door. One way to heaven. Through the blood. Through the blood. That's the only way to escape death. The angel of death passed over these homes, and it was a foreshadow of the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, which is Jesus. Jesus was crucified on Passover. He is our Passover lamb. So the person that may be doubting in here, I want to just share this thought. I could imagine a family gathered together in their home as they had witnessed the nine other plagues, and now the tenth plague is coming, and so they know that God is coming. He means what he says. And I could picture maybe a little girl or a little boy looking at their dad and and the fear in their eyes and just saying, Dad, did we put enough blood on the door? How much blood? Did did we put enough? Are we sure? Are we certain? And they're, they're living in anxiety and they're living in fear. Folks, let me tell you something. It never said how much blood. It just said the blood needed to be on the door. And if you're a Christian in this room, it's not measured on the amount of faith that you have. It's saving faith. It's believing that Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior. There was a repentance and there was a belief. Now, today, understand this family, that every individual family member needs to make a choice, though. Even though mom and dad may have put the blood on the door, children, you need to make a choice. Young people need to make a choice. Husband, you need to make a choice. Wife, you need to make a choice. Grace can be, if you have a note sheet, I'm not sure if you got that when you came in, but grace can be, number one, missed. Hebrews 12, 15, look after each other so that none of you fails to receive the grace of God. It could be missed. Number two, it could be ignored. 2 Corinthians 6, 1, as God's partners, we beg you not to accept this marvelous gift of God's kindness and then ignore it. We could ignore the grace of God. 
When we talk about first saving grace, we, we could ignore it. We can, somebody can share the good news with us. Someone may be in here today and, and you're hearing the good news and it could be ignored. It can say, you know what, this is just something that now my wife comes to and she's become religious and maybe she's a little nicer now, but I still don't like this whole surrender thing because I'm the man of the house and I, want, I don't want Jesus to be the man of the house. And so it could be ignored. It could be missed. It could be put out. 1 Thessalonians 5.19 in the Amplified Version of the Bible says this. Do not quench or subdue or be unresponsive to the working and guidance of the Holy Spirit. We can put out the work of God. I believe today this is really the sin of the church. That we put out the Spirit's fire. That we say that we can figure out how to do things. We could make it work in our own strength. We could just get a, you know, we just put this formula in and poof, we get presence of God in an awesome church service. And it doesn't work like that. Actually, some places where miracles and many salvations are taking place and people being healed and revivals happening are some of the poorest countries in the world and they don't have anything that we have to hold a church service. And so the presence of God is coming. The fourth one is that the grace can be turned away from or rejected. Galatians 2.21, I don't turn my back on God's undeserved kindness. So we can turn our back on it. So I spoke first about the person that may be doubting. But it's the blood on the door. It's not the amount of blood. It's, it's the blood. It's God's faithfulness. But now I want to talk about suspect Christianity. Everyone who is saved is changed. Now, we're not talking about a works faith. We're not talking about a works salvation. And some things in our lives, God does a quick work, and some things it's a slow work. And the faster that we obey, the faster we do see change in our lives. But everyone who is saved is changed. There is definitely a before and after picture. Now, just to remember that Ephesians 2, 8 through 9 says this, For by grace you have been saved by faith. Nothing you did could ever earn this salvation, for it was the love gift from God that brought us to Christ. So no one will be able to boast, for salvation is never a reward for good works or human striving. So it's not that we need to change ourselves in order to get saved. It's a fruit of salvation. Somebody once said that to become a Christian, it doesn't cost you anything. But to live as a Christian costs you everything. Matthew 6.23 says this, And if the light you think you have is actually darkness, how deep that darkness is. I'm going to read it again. Matthew 6.23, And if the light you think you have is actually darkness, how deep that darkness is. There are people that think they are right with God because they repeated some prayer, but never there was a repentance and an opening of the heart and surrender. Believing in God is not the same as faith in God. Please hear that. Believing in who Jesus is. Even the devil believes who Jesus is. But faith in God is different. Faith in God is putting trust and hope 
just like you sat in the chair today, most of you did not check the chair to see if it will hold you. You entrusted your whole self to where you're sitting. And to become a Christian, it is entrusting your entire self to Jesus. We give control over to God. We surrender to Jesus as our personal Lord and Savior. There are some that are here this morning. You want, let me say this carefully. There are some that are here this morning. You do not want to be saved, but you do not want to go to hell. Galatians 5, 19 to 26. You have to understand, Charles Spurgeon, I believe, said it correctly. Until we tremble at the law, we will never appreciate grace. Until we know why we're saved and what we're saved from, we will never appreciate grace. Galatians 5, 19 to 26 says this. When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, that's witchcraft, horoscopes, the occult, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outburst of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. This is the Bible. Galatians 5, then it says this, let me tell you again as I have before, that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. There is no law against these things. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to his cross and crucified them there. Since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. Let us not become conceited or provoke one another or be jealous of one another. The Bible says that Jesus is the Word. Now if a person says, yes, I am a Christian and they never spend time reading the Bible, loving His Word, obeying His Word, submitting to the authority of Scripture, it can be suspect. Social media Christians. You go to somebody's social media account, and you see a bunch of list of things that they describe themselves as, I want to share this one verse in 1 John 3.15. If you hate each other, because there's Christian Republicans that are hating Christian Democrats, and they're hating each other. I don't agree with this movement. I don't agree with this. I don't like this. I don't like that. And there's a hatred in the heart. Well, let, let me tell you something. This is what the Bible says. 1 John 3.15. If you hate each other, you are murderers. And we know that murderers do not have eternal life. There are trigger names for the Christian that you mention their names and it boils 
inside of us just at the mention of their name. Joe Biden. Donald Trump. We can keep going. And inside, there is a hatred. First Corinthians 6, 9 through 11 says this, Don't you realize that those who do wrong will not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't fool yourselves. Those who indulge in sexual sin or worship idols, that means putting anything above God, who commit adultery or are male prostitutes or practice homosexuality or are thieves, greedy people, drunkards, abusive, cheat people, none of these will inherit the kingdom of God. But verse 11, listen very carefully. Some of you were once like that, but you were cleansed. You were made holy. You were made right with God by calling on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Why is this so important that when we preach saved by grace that we must share the law, we must share the truth before we just jump into grace because then we can't get to verse 11. It just leaves people in those categories, shut out of the kingdom of God. But in verse 11 it says no matter what lifestyle you live or had lived, if you turn from it as sin and turn to me, I will rescue you. I will take you out of it. Why is it so important? Why are so many Christians or should be speaking up in regards to gender confusion or homosexuality is because of this. It's not because we hate people. It's because we're telling children. We're setting them up to believe such a lie that we put them into this category that shuts the kingdom of God out of their lives. And then we're criminalized and maybe hated because we say that we're, it, it's uh, conversion therapy and so on and so forth when all we're trying to do is share the gospel so we can see men, women, and children saved. When a teacher in Manhattan teaches a first grade classroom how to masturbate, we need to understand how perverse and twisted we have come to as a society. Where we tell children what's right is wrong and wrong is right. And I know that there's young people here. I'm going to share a statistic in a little bit. Because even as I share this right now, especially some of the younger, when I say young people, I'm talking about those in, in their 20s, those in their 30s. There are young people that are here right now that, that are a little upset by what I'm sharing. That's okay because we love you. Now with all these lists of things that shut people out of the kingdom of God, understand this, there's a difference between a struggle and a lifestyle. All of us, at one point or another, probably find ourselves in this category. And does that mean that we've lost our salvation? No. If we are confessing it as sin, if we are going honestly to God, God, I am sorry that I am greedy. God, I'm sorry that I'm cheating people. This is a sin, and I want you to change me. That is different than a person that says, this is not wrong. This is my value system. 
Guys, when a value system has not changed, it's very suspect that that person was ever born again. The Holy Spirit lives inside of a believer. There's only two people on planet earth. When God looks down, he sees two people in mankind. Those who have the Spirit of God inside of them and those that don't. And when you're born again, you have the Holy Spirit inside of you. And the Holy Spirit will draw us closer to Jesus. And our love and devotion to him should grow as time goes on. Now when we share our faith, this is so important. When we share our faith, we can't share this message alone. Really, this is not the core. This is not the the center of the gospel message. We can't say, give your heart to Jesus because he'll help you with your problems. Well, pastor, that sounds mean. The lady who's crying at my job, can I tell her that Jesus will help her? Absolutely, he will help her. But I have to tell you that our salvation is not based on help in that sense. Because what if God chooses not to help right away? then probably that person will walk away. But if we share the gospel of repent and believe, repent of sin, if we share with them that all have, see, see, the problem is this, we think we have issues, we are the issue. Me and you are the issue. We are sinners, not in need of a, 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 someone fixing us, or we need a completely new life. And that's what it means to be born again. The Bible says in First. John 1.10, if we claim we have not sinned, we are calling God a liar and showing that his word has no place in our hearts. And so when we share our faith, we share the cross. The cross will take care of whatever problems that person has. But understand, if you've been walking with the Lord long enough, we know God doesn't show up when, he wa- when we want him to, right? And so if someone's salvation is based on, well, I got a job, God gave me a job, so I believe in him, or, or God helped my family out, so I believe in him, this, our, our saving faith, saved by grace, it, that is not the salvation message. There's many people in the Bible that God had touched that didn't mean that they were believers as you read through the Gospels. See, a non-Christian is guilty of sin and deserves hell. Hell is a real place. There are some people that say, well, I believe in heaven, but I don't believe in hell. Then what are you saved from? And so hell is a real place, a place that none of us can really wrap our minds around, but it is a place of torment and torture forever and ever. Because if we don't share the true gospel when we share with other people, then we are shortchanging people from knowing the mercy and grace of God. If we have a revelation of heaven and hell, we will share our faith. Now, millennials, listen, this is why I said just a few minutes ago that there's probably some in here that may be younger that said, I don't know, Pastor, this sounds mean. I want to read a statistic from you from Barner.com. Almost half of millennials, 47%, agree at least somewhat that it's wrong to share one's personal beliefs with someone of a different faith in hopes that they will one day share the same faith. Almost half of millennials in our country believe evangelism is wrong. But elders, you're not off the hook. 20% of elders believe evangelism in somewhat is wrong. That if somebody at your job is Muslim, somebody at your job is Jewish, somebody at your job is atheist, whatever it is, to try to win them to the Lord is wrong. There's a big difference between being nice and kind. And I believe the church has been nice too long. Being nice, I don't want to rock the boat. I don't want to offend you. I want to almost put a big 
fluffy cloud all around you and make sure I can just carry you along the way. Being kind means I love you so much that I'm willing to tell you the truth. Now, why do I, this is my personal belief. Why do I believe that many don't share their faith is because I believe that there are not as many Christians in America as we claim there are. There's three conditions of people. 2 Corinthians 13.5 says this. Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. This is the Bible. Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Do you not realize that Christ Jesus is in you unless, of course, you fail the test? Have you opened your heart to Jesus? Because if you have not, he's not yours, then you are not his. It's the heart. The first type of person, three conditions of people, is an unsaved person. This is a natural person. This person is ruled by natural instincts. They do not have the Holy Spirit. They are under Satan's dominion and don't even know it or they reject this truth. They're a slave to their flesh and its passions. They reject the righteous ways of the Spirit. They can't understand God or his ways and they depend on human reasoning or the natural. Number two, the spiritual person, three conditions of people. This is a person that's born again. They're born again. They're saved. They surrendered their life to Jesus. They have the mind of God. They follow Jesus. They believe and trust the word of God. They resist sensual desires. They're forgiven. They're set free. They're made right. They're wearing Christ's righteousness. And let me tell you, when they fail, because they all fail, we all fail, we confess it as sin, we turn to God. Now, the carnal Christian, number three, understand, folks, that our sinful nature, we don't have to teach anybody to sin. We're, we're, we're passed down from our first parents, Adam and Eve. Our sinful nature, the flesh, is always the flesh. When you became a Christian, you didn't get new flesh. Our flesh is always the flesh. That's why you're wondering 20 years after you became a Christian, you're like, oh, I can't believe I did that again. Because the flesh is always the flesh. The Bible says there's nothing good in us but God. That's it. There's nothing good. The Bible even says there's no one good. The church is not filled with good people. Good people don't go to heaven. Saved people go to heaven. And so you're not good. If you're a Christian, the only good inside of us is God. That's why the prayer in the Bible is all of you and none of me. That you may increase and I decrease. We want all of you, Holy Spirit. This is why even a person that's a cessationist, the one who says, oh, the Holy Spirit has moved this way and the gifts, it is so deadly because we're actually limiting just the work that God wants to do in and through our lives. And so the flesh must be crucified with Christ. And then we follow the command in the Bible to be continually filled with the Holy Spirit to live God's ways. That should be part of our prayer life. The Holy Spirit, fill me. Holy Spirit, take control. A carnal Christian stops growing in grace for whatever reason. Maybe they're hurt. Maybe it's busyness. Maybe it's sin, the sin of mixture and compromise. Maybe they don't take God's word seriously. Maybe they're tolerant of immorality. But a carnal Christian stops growing in grace. Now, this is not behavior-based Christianity. It is faith-based. But the faith that we have in Jesus leads to change. Another indicator 
to know if our Christianity is real is that there's conviction in our lives. That when we do sin, we, we, that, that amazing, loving, unrelenting Holy Spirit says, no. When we say something we shouldn't say and, and, and we're just, no. If we sin and we just go about it like nothing ever happened and we just go to the next conversation and we talk to the next person and, and we just move on and it, like it's okay, that's a major problem. There has to be conviction in our lives. Now the assurance of salvation, you could be assured of salvation when you believed on the name of Jesus, there's no other name, no other way. You have submitted to Jesus as your Lord. You have repented of sin. The love of the world is not in our heart. You know the Bible says that if we love the world, the love of the Father is not in us. These are all tests along the way to know if we've surrendered our life to Jesus or not. If we sound like the world, act like the world, talk like the world, we love the world, and we don't see a problem with that, but we just tag on Christian. The Bible says God's love is not in us. Romans 8.16 tells us that the Holy Spirit will bear witness with our spirit that we are a child of God. Our faith is based on forgiveness of sin and salvation from hell. If that's offensive to you, please do business with God, especially if you're saying you're a Christian, because that is Christianity. We are saved from what? From sin and from spending eternity in hell. And we are given eternal life through Jesus Christ. I want to close with this. Lazarus was dead in the grave. And when he was dead in the grave, it doesn't matter if they took him out and propped him up. They could have put... 20 Bibles under his arm. They could have done a lot of different things to him and tried to make him look alive. But it wasn't until he heard the voice of God does he come alive. And if you're here today, I want to tell you, don't harden your heart. Don't harden your heart. When we're saved, it produces a change. See, we're all born guilty, but you can be born again. You can be born again. You can be born again. In John chapter 3, the Bible tells us of a man named Nicodemus. Nicodemus was a man that came to Jesus at night, probably because of fear. And I love it because Nicodemus asked a question, but Jesus went right into the center of the gospel. And he says, unless a man be born again, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. You cannot go to heaven. Now, the Bible in John chapter 3 doesn't tell us exactly what happened to Nicodemus, but in John chapter 19, Nicodemus is mentioned again. And this time, it's Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea who had taken the body of Jesus off the cross. And now he's bringing aloe, he's bringing all these spices. He's no longer hiding at night, but now he's in public. There is a change. See, when you're born again, there has to be a change. And it's not, okay, was I good today? I must be born again. I was bad today. That's not what I'm talking about. We're talking about a completely different value system. 
And our value system, remember, in those statistics is not based on our political agreements or disagreements, is not based on our ethnicity or so on and so forth. This value system is a heavenly value system based on the word of God. A biblical worldview starts at a true salvation. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 3 through 6 says this. This is good and pleases God our Savior, who wants everyone to be saved and to understand the truth. For there is one God and one mediator who can reconcile God and humanity, the man Christ Jesus. He gave his life to purchase freedom for everyone. This is the message God gave to the world at just the right time. Would you stand with me this morning because we're going to close. Jesus, he took a bloody beating. They ripped his back apart. They really beat him beyond recognition with instruments of torture, which I think most of us would have died at that point. They put a crown of thorns on his head, and they slammed those thorns in with a stick, too. And they stuck those nails in his hands and feet. And they drove him through. He was tortured for us. You know, every breath that he had to take, the way the torture was on the cross, he was suffocating. And every single breath, every single word that he spoke on that cross was a pain beyond any of us could imagine. And he hung there on that cross in front of his mom, in front of some friends, But let me tell you something, no matter who they were, whether it was the person spitting at him, making fun of him, whether it was the person doubting him or the person driving nails through his body, he loved them all. And he loves me and he loves you. The Bible says, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. What is that joy? That's me and you. But we're only right by his blood. Our salvation, saved by grace, cannot be because of what Jesus did for us outside the cross. Those are just benefits. But salvation is based on knowing I am a sinner. I need forgiveness. I need a savior. The Bible says everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. See, beloved, we will all stand before a holy an all-powerful and all-loving God, and nothing will be sufficient except the name of Jesus. Now, I prayed this week, and I prayed this morning that God would sweep the house and find every lost coin. And let me tell you something, your eternity is at stake forever. There's people that are here today, you know you are a child of God. There's people that were doubting, and hopefully you know that the blood on the door, it wasn't the amount. It was faith in what Jesus does on the cross. But there's also some of you here today that maybe you think you're okay, and until you hear a message like this, you realize that something's wrong. Or maybe you once walked with the Lord, and you were close to him, and you've drifted away, and today's the day to say, God, no games. I don't want to find myself in that category of saying, God, this isn't a struggle, but this is a lifestyle. 
and find myself shut out of the kingdom of God. You know, folks, I believe some of the most powerful, when I say powerful, maybe it's more heartfelt, some of the loudest cries, some of the most intense praying goes on in hell. And nobody hears it. And people are crying out there saying, go and tell my father. Go and tell my brother. Go and tell my son. Go and tell my grandson. Go and tell somebody not to play games. That there is a God and that there is one way to heaven. And it's a small door. And it takes a humbling of ourselves to the King of kings and Lord of lords. So I'm going to ask us to bow our heads, close our eyes, and I'm not going to call anyone forward this morning, but I do want to ask a couple questions. The first one is, if you're in this place and you would say, Pastor, I need to get right with God. I'm just going to ask you to raise your hand right where you are right now if you're in this place and you say, Pastor, I need to get right with God I need to be born again. I need to be saved. I need to be forgiven. It doesn't matter. I see that hand. It doesn't matter if you're young. It doesn't matter if you're older. Teenagers, please listen. Young people, listen. This is not a thing that you could just hold on and wait. Those two teenagers that made some mistakes recently and drove through this county and didn't wake up the next day are spending eternity somewhere right now. And maybe you once walked with Jesus and you were close to him. But you've drifted away and you say, Pastor, today's the day. God, I need you. I want to be close to you. I want my first love back. If that's you, just raise your hand where you are. I want to pray for you. Praise God. Praise God. There's no shame in this, folks. Sorry, I see your hand in the balcony. There's no shame in this. Shame will keep you out of heaven. But the love of God, remember he died on that cross almost naked in front of everyone because he loves us. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. But that word believe is in trust. And so before we pray for those that have raised their hand or pray with just want to ask one more time, if you're not born again and you would like to raise your hand right where you're at, in the balcony or on the floor, wherever you are, I see your hand, young lady. Praise God. Praise God. Those of you that raised your hand, I want you to pray this simple prayer with me, and, and it's not my prayer. It's not my prayer. It's just, it's, it's like somebody, you talk to your friend, and they're like, hey, I don't know what to say. I'm about to propose, and you're just helping them with some words. But I want to help you articulate what's going on in your heart right now. Just those of you that raise your hand, just say, Lord Jesus, I am a sinner and I need forgiveness. And you died for me, so I ask you to forgive me. I'm sorry. I open my heart to you and I surrender to you. Jesus, be my God, be my Lord, be my master, lead my life. Save me. I believe you rose from the dead and you conquered death. So when I die, you will take me to heaven with you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Now, Father, I pray for those who may be doubting in this room. Lord, if it's because of mixture, because of sin, I pray for repentance.
if it's because of they don't feel they're good enough or they need to work more, God, I pray they remember that blood on the door. Some houses had more blood than others, but it was just the blood on the door. And Jesus, it's by your blood that you stood for us and we can stand before you knowing we are made right with you by calling on the name of Jesus. Lord, thank you. We love you. We give you the glory in Jesus' name.